Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Hamm. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Hamm. Joining me for another episode of the CarCast, Mr. Doug Christie. What's up, Max Muscle? Get my buff on, son. Get my buff on, son. <laughs> yeah, I could use some Max Muscle buff on. You know, I need to, I need to bulk up over here, Doug. Uh, Got to get my beach body on. Nah, easy, man. Them suits might get tight on you. Yeah, well, that already happens. The suit gets tight as it, the season wears on, and I eat too much fast food, which we're gonna discuss on the way home. Because usually. With Jerry, me and Jerry stop at the Wendy's. Oh, gosh. And I know. You doing that to Jerry, man? No, no. You are a bad influence on Jerry? That's that's Jerry. Jerry wants to stop for a cup of chili every time. I'm just telling you people, Doug doesn't need anything like this. He's, uh, his body is a shrine, and and we have this discussion here and there about whether or not we're going to stop and have have food, and and it's usually a straight drive-through. But uh, Hey, I mean, we just were by Whole Foods, and now you want to stop and get fast food? They Come call on. you know what they call Whole Foods uh, at, whole at check. Yeah, whole check. I whole, got you. Whole paycheck. Yeah, it, and sometimes it's it's very expensive, you but do. you know, organic apples and oranges and things, ham. Oh my! People are looking at us. We're we're still in the city tonight. Uh, we've got like bike messenger guy walk driving by us. We've got a, a guy holding his gym bag, staring at us as we're talking into microphones in the car. Um, <laughs> But we're heading towards the Bay Bridge. Uh, estimated time of arrival for me to be home is probably, well, almost 1 o'clock in the morning at this point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it should be an, an interesting discussion. Doug, the Kings just knocked off the Phoenix Suns in dramatic fashion. Not dramatic as in Devin Booker hits a hits a fallaway jumper over Matt Barnes to beat you, but in scalicious Fashion. I will say more than anything, he uh, uh, Bissier tonight was awesome. Uh, I think the Kings going and looking for him down the stretch says so much about you know hard work and the fact that they trust him, uh, getting the ball to him, and and the ability for the Kings to go down you know early by uh, as many as ten points and then come back in this one just it says a lot for a win on the road. Yeah, and, you know, Scowl scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. He finishes with 32 points, clearly a career high. His previous career high, I think, was 15. Uh, But 32 points, 11 of 15 from the field. He also grabbed, what, 11 rebounds. Uh, He was all over the court. And I I think you're right. The thing that was the most impressive was that his teammates, many of them rookies and young players, fed him again and again and again down the stretch because he was hot. But I think that shows something about this team as well and sort of their growth and their want to to not only succeed themselves, but to have their whole entire young group kind of rise up together. Yeah, you want to – because they, they have to learn how to manufacture points, where to get them from. And a lot of the times when you're in situations like that, you roll with a hot hand. And the fact that they recognized it, had the ability to get scout the ball, and then him to have the ability to make the shot to be poised enough to uh, to take over. I mean, 20 points in the fourth quarter is absolutely big-time stuff. And then you look at a Willie Colley-Stein with a double-double. He has blocks. He has steals. He it just uh, – all around, and then you talk about Garrett Temple, defense on uh, Devin Booker. It, just a great team win. You can tell that the guys are happy for each other, and that's that's good to see. Now, I, I think there's going to be some overreaction here. As we uh, we embark upon our journey, we're now on the Bay Bridge. I always like telling you when we're on the Bay Bridge because you hear the clicking of the, the brakes and the concrete on the Bay Bridge. Um, but... Scal, the way that he was able to produce 32 points to me was really impressive. 
number one, he, he hit his first three-pointer, which was just clean. And it's something that I knew he could hit because I've seen him hit a ton of them in pregame and at practice. But little fallaways, uh, little rise-ups, little dunks. He has a little bit of everything that he brings to a game. But, again, Doug, something that we talked about, what I love is that it's so refined. It's so almost technical what he does. And I think the sky is the limits. What are your thoughts on, again, not to get fans too excited here because it's it's only one game and one of an 11-game stretch where he, he's actually played well. Um, but what is it that you're seeing so far? Well, I, when you when you look at Scal, obviously it's his effort. I, I love that. But the for, so first off, the ability to rebound the basketball, to track the basketball while it's in the air, finding gaps, getting in there and grabbing rebounds, that is, it's vital for a guy like Scal. Then he has quick ups off the floor. Once he hits the ground, he is right back up. Bunny's just hopping, just boom. And then just the finishing ability that he has around the rim tonight, he got a, a, a ball in the middle of the key, jump stop, spun on a guy, finished with the left hand. These are all little... It, it, they're signs that, you know, Scow was playing 10 to 15 minutes and he was getting eight points, six rebounds. And I said, you know, he's a walking double-double. And now where those points will be at in the, you know, like tonight, you don't want to overreact because he had 32 points. Like you don't want to overreact when Willie had 29 points. Yeah. But the ability to pencil him in for a double-double, what will the points be? Will it be closer to 10 or closer to 20? I have a feeling that it's probably going to be closer to 20 because he's going to start garnering rebounds. He's uh, If he does end up you know, shooting a three-pointer here or there, he's shown the, the ability to knock down shots and finish around the hoop. One thing tonight is this is a type of game that the Kings need to to get into is more of a spacing, open court, get up and down, driving lanes, passing lanes, because that gives Scow and Willie the ability to finish at the bucket. Now, again, we, we talked about this on the telecast as well. There aren't any double teams coming right now, and I don't think there are going to be any double teams for the rest of this season. Uh, if he continues to, to score at you know, 15 to 20 points a game here and we enter year two, um, he's going to start getting some more looks. But what I like is that he has uh, an ability an ability to create his own shot. Uh, not so much off the dribble. He has a little bit off the dribble, but like you've always said, he, he's always one step away from, from the basket anyways. But he has, again, refined post moves. He has that, that pretty little touch with the left hand. His touch on his jumper and on his jump hook are just so incredibly soft. Uh, can he be a, I don't even want to say a back-to-the-basket, can he be a guy that maybe you can feed 18 times a game going forward? Yes, I, I think so. And it doesn't, see, this is the key with him and the formulation, as I was saying on uh, on postgame, of a team. Uh, you, you look at Utah and you look at how they put their team together. You got guys who, uh, you know, um, he's become an all-star there, but you don't have necessarily that superstar. So to answer your question, you can go through him and pass him the ball 18 times. Some of those he's going to score, but it's going to be the ability to start to learn how to pass and drop dimes. It'll really take his game to the next level. So, yeah, you give him the ball, but you also turn him into a playmaker maker because if he catches it at the elbow guys are cutting off of him he has the ability to hand off make late passes he's one dribble away from the basket and he can dunk the ball with either hand it makes him an absolute threat on the offensive end okay and you bring up the Utah Jazz and and I'm going to make a, not a comparison as far as what they are as players but a comparison is what I kind of hope Willie Cauley-Stein looks at and tries to become Look, again, I don't think Willie Cauley-Stein is ever going to be a guy who averages 18 points a game. I don't, I don't know if he's ever going to average 14 a game for an entire season. But what I look at is a player who kind of reminds me... <coughs> excuse me, I sneezed right in the middle of the car cast. Bless you. Uh, it must be that we're in Berkeley, Doug. Okay. We're in Berkeley, and the car cast made me sneeze. Um, <laughs> but to get back to Willie, I think he can stuff the stat sheet a little bit like how Andre Kirilenko used to stuff the stat sheet. He can fly in. He can get you rebounds. 
He can get you blocks. He can get you steals. He'll pass the ball. Uh, what, what tonight he had five five assists. Yep. He had eleven rebounds. He had four blocks. He had four steals. He had fourteen points. That's the type of night that wins basketball games. That's the type of game that uh, if you have one or two of those Swiss Army knife type guys that can really, really change the course of a season for you. Would you agree? Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, when you think about Andre Karolinko, those type of stats that you just read that uh, Willie Colley-Stein got tonight, those made Andre Karolinko in Utah an all-star. So it, it is the, the ability to not just have one area, but to affect the game in a lot of different areas. And when you talk about blocks, and, and Coach mentioned afterwards, Coach Yeager, about deflections. I believe he said Willie had seven deflections. And those are, those are all winning type of plays because it throws an offense off of their rhythm because now they have to go collect the ball or track it down after the ball is deflected. The ability to block shots means that now you're protecting the paint. With Willie and Scow both extremely active on the interior, as long as those guys are and as big as they are, they are going to cover a lot of ground and make it difficult for offenses to come into the paint and to score freely. The thin towers, they're, they're growing, and you're right. They're so incredibly long and athletic together that they can cover a lot of ground. They can make up for a lot of things. The other thing I'll point out is that against the Suns, I don't know what got into Willie, but he attacked on the, on the defensive glass. He jumped in and had, well, even on the offensive glass, he went through, uh, through Chris at one point and grabbed a huge rebound, uh, ripped it down, and, and to me it looked like he was so much more aggressive and assertive, and I kind of feel like he's feeding off of Scal's energy. That's a good point because, uh, you know, I mentioned it and you and I talked, but what Willie is going through and learning how to rebound at this level, it's learned. It is something that you can absolutely learn. You look at angles and different things. Dennis Rodman did it extremely well. Yeah. You see that Willie has the motor. You see that he can do it. Now it's going to be at the consistency at which he does it. And that takes energy. It takes focus. And you have to encourage each other. And right now, a one-two punch of those two on the inside are really looking good. Okay, one two punch of those guys on the inside. Buddy Hield had a had a rough night, um, but I think we're going to see that here and there. I mean, Buddy's actually been really consistent since since the trade. He's had uh, I think in ten of the twelve games he scored in double figures. Uh, he was coming off of I think it's two nights with seventeen and one with eighteen coming into this game. Uh, what did you see? Why do you think he struggled? And do you think if he was just given a little bit more of an opportunity. He, he could have woke up out of that funk. Yeah, I think he could have came, uh, but he could have came out of it. But I don't know. I'll have to go back and look at the tape a little bit to see if Buddy is allowing his offense to dictate how he's playing. Because, again, you can affect the game in a lot of different ways. And when I look at Buddy Heald uh, defensively, he's going to have to learn that a guy like Booker, he wants to shoot jumpers. So you got to be physical with him. you got to make him uh, not go the way that he wants so he doesn't get to the spot he wants to get to. And you need to get into his legs. Since Buddy is a shooter, you're going to have to spend energy on the other end with really hard hard cuts, curling off of people. Even if you're not going to get the ball, sometimes you're not doing it for the purpose to score, but you're doing it at the purpose to use the energy in Booker's legs so later on in the game he doesn't have them. But the physicality on the defense, and it can get a little chippy from time to time, and you have to be willing to get into that because you're not letting that guy go where he wants to go. You're standing in his way. You got your hands on him, and he's having to constantly push 205, 210 pounds off of him over the course of a game, and that's a way that you can get into a player like Booker's legs. All right, so we are just driving through Richmond, uh, Nations Burger. Have you ever had a Nations Burger? No, I have not. Oh, really good stuff, really good stuff. There's also a breakfast spot way up here on the hill called Fat Apples. I, I think they're still there, but they also do pies that are incredible that uh, – that you can get around the holidays. Fat apples, fat huh? Apples, okay. Apples. Uh, you know, there's a lot, name says a lot sometimes. Yeah, I, I've got to ed educate you here, Doug. On the, I, the I local, appreciate it. Uh, the Culinary scene? Yeah, the local eateries. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's also uh, what, Zachary's Pizza. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's 
they do a uh, Chicago style with the the sauce up on top. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Easy, I, big fella. I, I may be a foodie. I may be a foodie. I hear it. Uh, all right. So uh, I think the other interesting thing to this game was that uh, Yorgos, our, our giant friend, Mr. Papayanis, got to play. Yes. And it's two games in a row that Papayanis has actually seen the court. And I think initially you're like, ah, he's so raw. He he's, but if it's is it just me or does, is there an outline here? There's an outline of a of a player that could be down the road. I like his outlet passes. I like all of his passes actually. For the most part, he makes mistakes here and there, but it's because the game speed is a little off for him. He had some block shots. You know, he he got in there and he mixed it up. He had a he's absolutely huge. What are you seeing for, from Big Papa G? You know, I, I love the, the fundamentals that he's bringing. You can see that he has a good feel for the game of basketball, meaning that, you know, footwork-wise, he's doing some really good things. He's going to have to commit himself to getting in really tip-top shape, and that, that is going to help him quite a bit, making sure that he's, uh, you know, flexibility is there and footwork and speed of footwork, ladder work in the summertime, cone work. If he does that, the feel for the game he has. He has a nice shot. Uh, we, we talked about his jump hook and different things. The body aspect of him getting in shape and really tightening up, I think is also going to help his game with his post moves and a lot of different things because he's going to find that his size and, and his weight and strength is going to allow him to do some things that he probably doesn't even know that he, that he, that he can do at 19, 20 years old. Yeah, he's 19 years old, and, and some of the things that I'll point out too – is that the Kings don't have another player like him. Like, they have, what, three other guys that are basically seven-footers in Scal and Willie and Costa. But they don't have a high post, a traditional high post center, uh, which is, you know, what basically what uh, Dave Yeager has made his entire career on is, is high post centers and Mark Gasol. Um, but he has that ability. He can hit a little jumper from the top of the key, he, again, he's got a really soft touch. He's got good hands. And I think that down the road, uh, he could even develop even to a better shot blocker. We've seen him already block shots that you're, you're slightly surprised that he's there for. He tracks guys cutting to the hoop. He makes guys know that he's there. They feel him, the presence of a shot blocker. And so, so Doug, I think the one thing I'll point out, too, is that people wanted to just absolutely blow apart Vlade Divac for the trade on draft night that sent uh, the number eight pick, which ends up being Marquise Chris. And uh, they, they basically, Vlade sends the number eight pick for the number 13 pick, which is Yorgos, mm-hmm. the number 28 pick, which is Scal, mm-hmm. and a uh, the draft rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich. Now, I'm not quite sure if we can fully make this this statement and, and make it stick. Oh, you're going to make it, though. I can hear it. It sure does feel like Vladi may have done something good here. Oh, by, by all means. I, I think that, first of all, Vlade understood that there you weren't having a lot of draft picks going forward. So you want to turn one pick into three. And then it, it, if you look at what he did, does with Scow and Yorgis, put that aside now you can almost say that Bogdan is another draft pick for this year in case there wasn't one but now there is going to be two most likely plus a second rounder so sometimes things that they don't you know you don't know what they're going to be you got to let it kind of pan out but I would say right now that if Scalabissier and if Malachi Richardson were both in the draft again they would extremely move higher up the board Malachi would move higher if he hadn't been hurt because if he would have stayed on the same pace that he was on, Ham, it was a really good pace. And we're seeing that Scal has just incredible potential. So that in and of itself would have moved both of those guys way up the board. So those picks by Vlade, and I think that that, that draft day swap turned out really, really good. Yeah, I think it did turn out really good. And, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to to really have an idea of the, the trade that sent – DeMarcus Cousins and Omri Caspi to the Pelicans, that that trade is going to take a couple of years to really play out and, and see what the Kings get. Um, but I'm also going to point out, Doug, that 
they got a first-round pick for Cousins. Yes. Which that first-round pick right now I think is right around number seven. Uh, it depends. I think the Kings and the Pelicans are tied after after this win tonight because the Pelicans lost again. Cousins uh, hasn't blown the doors off of anyone in New Orleans. Uh, he's had a lot of the similar struggles. He's a $50,000 fine um, and, you know, a couple of technicals now. He's one technical away from another suspension. But I think what sort of the long and the short of it is people were so quick to judge Vlade for that deal. And while the Kings would have loved to have gotten more and they would have loved to have gotten another draft pick in that deal, we all know that there was some some stuff there by uh, by Cousins' agent who is now uh, who got let go by his, his firm, which was a strange move as well. Dan Fagan was let go uh, right after that trade. Um, but the point I'm making is there's something else that the Kings got out of this, and it's kind of twofold. Number one, it's the opportunity to develop young players, but also when they made the trade, what they were what 11th, 12th in the draft lottery, which means they would have lost their pick. At this point, they again are six, seven, and they're going to keep their pick. So while people don't really want to consider it part of the Cousins trade, I really do believe you have to in some some ways. And, and kind of acknowledge that Vlade didn't get that extra pick from the Pelicans, but he got the extra pick in his own pick from Chicago, which is only, it, it's not protected at all, but it has the pick swap from Philadelphia. So again, the Cousins trade has this potential to really restock the, the Kings really quickly as we pass the Hercules exit. <laughs> Aha! Aha, ham, ham. I like the way that you're looking at that, my friend, because you are right. Because if you if you keep, uh, you know, everything here and all of us uh, with the trade and you, you don't make a trade with Cuz, then you most likely make the playoffs and you lose your pick and you don't have anything. So going forward, you know, this was all about what, what the Kings, uh, a youth movement, doing it different, trying to set up and establish something different. And as of right now, Vlade is is – you know, looking good. I've told it, I've said it at, at many times that out of, out of all my teammates, that's the one guy that I would trust with that job because he's, first of all, he's lucky, but he's a, he's a really smart guy. Uh, he thinks ahead. He's going to go through and, 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 and he has a heart of gold. You know, he's coming from the, the right position. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm excited about what I see. I'm excited, excited about the possibilities. He's not, he can't miss in this draft. Now, I will say that. Vladdy's going to have to make some good picks. I know that they'll ad nauseum go through all of them, but you got to make sure that, that you pick some good picks. And moving forward with Coach Yeager, who's developed young players and done this before, the Kings are set up really well looking like going into the future. Yeah, and this draft is stocked. I mean, that's everyone knows that this is one of the better drafts that, that the NBA has had in since the 2003 draft this is considered the best draft uh, of course the players have to develop it's a lot of underclassmen um, but a lot of point guards which I think is a really good thing because whether Darren Collison is part of the franchise future or Ty Lawson is part of the future um, either way it doesn't really matter you need someone who's young to grow with this young team as well as a veteran at that position is there someone that you like? Like me and you have discussed this a little bit, and you know who I like, but who do you like in this draft? Well, obviously, if you're going to be picking at the very top, you would look at Lonzo Bell. Uh, he's just an incredible young player that makes all of his teammates better, and that is shown with what he's done at UCLA. But if you're going to be down in five and six and in those type of areas, uh, De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky is one that I like, a left-handed player, uh, bigger than you think, athletic, doesn't have a hitch in his shot, just needs to work on it. He kind of reminds me of a bigger version of uh, the kid from Memphis. Um, oh, Mike Connolly Jr. Mike Connolly Jr. That's, right. That's kind of what he reminds me of. And, and Mike Connolly, as, as you know, he's been underrated for many, many years. Couldn't crack the all-star game, but just one heck of a player. And he's the type of guy, he attacks the rim in uh, De'Aaron Fox. He's, he's very aggressive on the defensive end as well so a young player that I do like 
You know, and I, I like, is it Dennis Smith? Yes. That's who I like. Yeah. Uh, NC State? Uh, NC State, yes. Yeah, he, he's going to need some time to develop, but I love the aggressive uh, athleticism. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, a, a guy who attacks the rim, goes above and beyond the rim, I think he would open up uh, a lot of things, especially for these young athletic bigs that the Kings have on the front line. And if you could get this team to get out and really start moving, I think you could develop something very quickly. I also, you know, Josh Jackson is nice. Uh, I've watched enough footage of him. I'm always leery on Kansas guys because they're kind of like Duke guys. They, They don't usually transition that well, although Wiggins and Embiid, um, both have a ton of promise, um, and I love Bill Self. I think he's a great coach. I don't know that that their players develop quickly enough, mm-hmm. and I also think that uh, a small forward is a much easier position to fill via free agency than the point guard position. So I would put all of my eggs in the basket of one of these young point guards, and uh, and and even if I had to. Take two, take you know maybe my my first my first two picks if if that's what it takes to move up and get into the top two and to get one of these young point guards, that's what I would do because I do think you can't have too many young players and and I know the Kings cap situation is good, but I I need a star out of this draft and if I got a star out of this draft and somehow Scal Lebesier becomes an all-star level player, which I think we all see right now that he has that ability, uh, then I think they're on the right path. Yeah, I don't know that you take two to get one. Because there is such talent here, what you could end up doing is you draft two players, you're going to be overstocked maybe at the two-guard position, and then you make that move that you're talking about at a trade deadline and, and bring in that uh, that veteran, that wily veteran that can help you out. But uh, there's so much talent there. It's going to – I'm sure that the Kings and Vlade are going to go over it and nauseam, making sure that they've uh, – turned over every single rock nooks crannies and and really dig in and look at this because you're also building a culture and that culture you want to make sure that that pick or those picks i should say fit with the culture that you're picking as well that's right okay we just cleared the carcanus bridge doug knows the fast track better than jerry so i was able to transition and give him the fast track early this time Again, my my weekly commercial for Fast Track. Get Jerry ain't worried place. about no Fast Track, man. Jerry, Jerry chilling. Jerry was worried about me driving with a microphone in my hand and grabbing a Fast Track and putting up against the windshield at the same time. And you don't think I'm worried? Hell yeah, I'm worried, man. Well, I mean. You're doing on. all right, though. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing Jerry was worried about is how far until we got to Wendy's. Because oh, Wendy's man. is a good 18 miles up still. Okay, so yeah, you got about yeah. 20 minutes. Get yeah. it in. Yeah. So, all right. So, Doug, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, there's so many moving pieces here with this team. I think the veterans have done a remarkable job of keeping this team sort of afloat and buoyed while they, they get through this transition. But how are you on on the decision to – to sit guys especially i think what was it against uh orlando they sat four four guys ty lawson costa kufis aaron aflalo and tyreek evans and then they came back again on wednesday they sat they sat anthony tolliver and darren colson both who had tremendous games against orlando are you okay with the way that this is going i mean they're tanking it it appears and no one wants to hear the t-word but they're at least trying to do something here, and it hasn't worked out. They've won both games, but how are you on this? Well, you know, one thing that that I like, it's not necessarily tanking because you're winning the ball games and they're competitive, but you got to understand that you got some overlap at certain positions, and if you're going to play everybody, some guys aren't going to get to play, and what do you want to see? You want to see Jorgis out there. You want to see Willie Colley-Stein out there. You want to see Scal out there. You want to see Buddy Heald out there. So if you, you know, play too many guys, those guys' minutes are going to be backed up so much, and not only does, does – 
coach want to see them, but he wants to see some combinations of guys together. And that takes and sucks up minutes as well. So, yeah, I understand coming down the stretch, resting some of your veterans from time to time. I, I understand it. You, you know, the Kings are looking at a bigger picture right now of developing some of their young talent. And as opposed to dressing up some of your veterans and then only playing them a couple minutes, uh, I mean, you might want to look at it that way. Maybe they get minutes in the first quarter and the third quarter sometimes. But the way that it's going, these guys are getting valuable minutes. They're getting big minutes. They're getting to the experience what it's like with big minutes and then probably go to practice tomorrow the shoot around and see how your body's feeling it's a learning process so i'm not all against it uh i'm not a big proponent of the rest thing uh you know i think that there's different ways that you can do that as opposed to just sitting a whole bunch of guys out but i totally understand it yeah and i think what we're going to see over the next two games is something the fans aren't going to be too happy about and that is scowl is going to play but he's going to play in the right situations again. Yep. And people are going to say, but he just put 32 and 11 up. No, and, no, no. And that's fine. But I, I could see him getting major minutes against Sabonis in OKC on Saturday uh, because Sabonis is like him. He's a young player. And, and again, I'm just going to point out, you know how many people out there have said, oh, man, the Kings should have drafted Sabonis over uh, Papianis. And Sabonis is a nice player, but... You should probably look at his stats before you really go that far. Again, he's a, a nice young player, but he's not even remotely close to double-figure scoring or rebounding. He's a decent passer, but I would choose potential, uh, especially when it comes to Scowl over over uh, Sabonis any step, any day, any day. And then I might choose size in Papianis over, over a guy like Sabonis as well. Sabonis could probably help you sooner but does he have any potential to be anything more than an eighth or ninth man sort of in your rotation? And I'm not sure what the answer is to that. So uh, I could see Scowl playing minutes there, but then you get to the next game, which is San Antonio, and I could see Scowl not playing hardly at all. This is it's possible, but I think Coach Yeager, he's, he's said it before, and he, he's developed players like this. He developed Mike Conley Jr. He uh, was there with um, uh, uh, Mark Gasol and, and seeing them along and watching them through their ebbs and flows as they became rookies and into their second year. So understanding that you, you don't want to kill a guy's confidence at the same time. Do you throw him to the wolves sometimes? Yes, you do. Do you want to see what they do? So uh, you're right. It, it's going to be probably matchup based unless they decide to sit some guys and really give them a good run against some of these better teams. And either way, I, I think it's okay because you, you got – these uh, delicate pieces in these young players in the right hands of a person in, in Coach Yeager and his staff who've done this before, and it seems like they're making all the right moves. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Yeager was a head coach in Memphis for just three years, but he was also an assistant there for years and years before that, uh, before he actually got this, the, the head coaching job. But was it nine years total in I in think Memphis? that's eight, eight or nine, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So six years as an assistant. Uh, starting in like the the video room, so he he does have an idea of of how it is to bring a young player along and, and try to develop and mold and, and do what they're they're trying to do here. So I think we're going to have to be patient, and I know Kings fans hate that. Uh, you know they did pick up their twenty seventh win against the Suns. Uh, that's a little scary because your odds of moving into the top three are much higher at number five than they are at number six, mm. and certainly much more than number seven. There's a huge statistical jump that happens between five and six, and so it's something that that the Kings need to be wary of if they want to move up into the top, into the top three, and retain that Pelicans pick. Hopefully, the Pelicans will continue to to lose, but I think worst case scenario would be. The Pelicans finish with a worse record than the Sacramento Kings and then somehow slide into the top three and, and the Kings lose that pick. Bah humbug. Don't say that, Jim. James, <laughs> are you joking me? Are you calling me Jim because uh, Jim Cosmore? Is no, that... uh, I'm calling you. <laughs> James, do not do that. I, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I got my fingers and my toes crossed at the same time because uh, the Kings – 
it's set up for them to really do some good things. And there's been a lot of buzzard luck, if you want to say, around here, yep. whether it's been picks or, or not picking the right players. And, and I, I want to see some, for, for the Sacramento fan base, for the Kings organization, I, I love them to death, and I want to see some good things happen. And I'm, I'm feeling a good vibe, and I, and I want it to continue. So you cut that out, James. I will cut that out. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the CarCast. Uh, we are pulling into, uh, what is this, the Green Valley Road area, The uh, and and James is going to get some Taco Bell, even though <laughs> Doug, Doug is not down with the Taco Bell, James is no. getting some Taco Bell. So uh, we will be back. Uh, Doug, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised and excited about the things that I'm seeing on the court. I just want them to continue to work, go out there, fight and scrap every night. And as you know, always, go Kings. There we go. The incomparable Doug Christie. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me in the talkback portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? You got a nice little pep in your step there today, Mr. Ham. Yeah, I got a good night's sleep after driving all night to get home. Uh, the car cast, though, the car cast makes life a little easier. But I, I thought, you know what? How nice would it be to get a morning after perspective, a, a day after the Kings pull off the uh, improbable big win against a very bad Phoenix Suns team? <laughs> what am i like the morning after uh pill or something <laughs> no no because like doug and i we discussed it on the car cast we you know but oh you, i see you're riding gotcha, high okay. you're everyone in the car me and doug we're we're like hey we got to see a win you know it's uh it, it's always better when you're working the game to get a win just because everyone is in better spirits whether you're you have a, a a pony in the race or not, you're in better spirits. So, uh, so what are yeah, your what are your initial thoughts on, on no, no, two I, game win streak? Absolutely, like I mean, one of the things I tweeted last night is I just hope that we get to cover better stuff with this team, and I I feel like that's where we're heading with this team. I feel like the cloud over the franchise has definitely been lifted. Whether or not you agree with the mechanics or the outcome of that trade then you you now turn the page and you look at what's going on it's a really good feeling it's um you could feel it in, in the fan base you could feel it around the, the the building and it's just um it's nice it's refreshing and um you know seeing scal do what he's doing is really nothing short of remarkable um but then the other players as well seeing willie collie stein get out there and and really just be a different player than anybody thought he would ever be. Um, and then getting the young guys, you know, just in general minutes is, is, is a big, big development. I thought Scal would get minutes in these, or I thought Scal would do well in these two games against bad teams. Um, didn't know how he would, how many minutes he would get against San Antonio and OKC, but now he's really forced Jaeger's hand. And this is huge for the development of this player. I don't think that, tanking should be the number one priority for this team. I think that developing this player and making sure that he gets as much experience right now as possible so he can build off of it this summer is goal number one. I would feed him and just keep feeding him minutes, touches, you name it. Let him fall on his face. Get that stuff out of the way right now because I saw you say it on the show. He, he's an all-star yeah. in the making. Yeah, he's an all-star level, level talent for sure. It's phenomenal. It is, isn't it? I mean, you stumbled on a gold mine with the 28th pick. And, and I don't think, like, a good, again, he went up against, he went up against the Phoenix Suns who have really, and it wasn't just the Phoenix Suns, it's the Phoenix Suns who traded P.J. Tucker uh, that that um, sat, uh, well, Alex Lynn didn't play serious minutes, uh, Tyson Chandler didn't play at all, Eric Bledsoe didn't play. So you're playing down a a watered-down 22-win team. I mean, this is a bad team. But I thought they still had different looks to give him, and he did well against all of them. I mean, he went right over the top of Jared Dudley. Uh, they tried Marquise Chris, and he just showed Marquise Chris uh, why that, that trade was so incredibly horrible for the Phoenix Suns. 
Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Sacramento fans. Uh, and, I, I'm not done. I'm not done with Chris. I don't think Chris is done. I think he's. I think he's fine. You know but, what though? I, I don't like his body language at all. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's got issues. Ooh. He's starting fights already as Yikes. a rookie, and he's getting into it. Um, kind of not internally, but he's he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, not in a good way. Um, and then there's obviously he's got to be less raw. He's really, really, really raw right he's now. He's really raw. And you know the thing that really bugged me too is he had five blocks, right? But every time he got a block, he flexed and he stood facing the crowd behind the basket. Like he would go stand in the basket and flex like, and yell or whatever he was doing. And I was like, hey man, did you realize you're the same dude who just got dunked on like 12 to 14 times by a rookie and by Willie Cauley-Stein? Like they, they just used you as a turnstile. Big deal, you got five blocks, who cares? You just put up like the worst defensive performance of any power forward in the league. Again, who cares? You you were able to block a really really slow Tyreek Evans trying to score on a layup. I mean, well, well, well let's let's talk impressive. about this real quick for for two seconds. Like yeah. he's been in a crappy environment all year, and they've they've been tanking. They are a tanking team, and he's learning. He doesn't play for wins in Phoenix. He's he, for him getting five blocks is a win, and this is why it's so important for the Kings to win games while developing their young players. The win, both of them have been real huge. When when the rookies are a part of the win, I thought I saw Katie say this. When the rookies are a part of the win, you can't measure that in terms of development and. On the other side is is Marquise Chris, who's who's flexing after five blocks and a losing effort. Yeah, and after getting torched like repeatedly. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, again, I what he was was he zero for seven to start from three. He kept chucking. At some point, someone really needs to tap him on on the shoulder and tell him he's not a three point shooter. Not in year one. Probably not in year three. He just that's not his game. I'm not sure what his game is. But see, that's the thing that I, I would like to point out when, when we transition this conversation to Scal. Because again, I'm not trying to bash on on, Mar- on Marquise Chris. I will say this. I didn't like him pre-draft. I didn't hear good things about him pre-draft. And then when I see him play against a rookie who really has only played 12 games versus 61 starts for Marquise Chris in his rookie season and 67 overall games, he leads all rookies in games played. Um, but to see the difference in the two, I saw a refined, beautiful athlete who can do a lot of things and who needs to add strength, uh, but just strength and, and, you know, some experience versus a dude who is really raw and no one knows at all what kind of player he's going to be. You can see who Scal's going to be. There's no question who Scal is going to be. I, I, I am, you know, you, is my phone lit up last night. I heard from people I haven't heard from in years. I'm not kidding. Like, it was like people from other sports are hitting me up and and saying, oh, my God, have you seen this? What's up with this Scal guy? Like, yeah. It, it, like, it, that was the kind of, that's the kind of game that he has because of the high release point. And I think people see the smoothness and the jumper. The footwork. The footwork yeah. and and then even the um, the 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 on court IQ the the one only one complaint I've seen really two complaints I give two complaints and two I don't think either of them are a big deal one is the getting lost on defense um, kind of over the top communication issues and transition that's stuff that happens to a lot of rookies mm-hmm. uh, I think he'll work through that the other is the accuracy of his passes because yeah. if he can. I'm, he's not Giannis and he's not close to Giannis, but he, because of his, the, the total package, he should be able to have a playmaker's game, like playing him at the three, playing him at the four. And that's where I get excited. And I think, you know, at one point in time, the Bucks said, you know what, we're going to overload this kid and we're going to in preseason, we're going to call him a point guard. And then at the end of last year, we're going to just go all in and say, you're running everything. Now, Scal's not going to have that level of passing or dribbling, but he's not like universes away. Like, I think you try to get as much ball handling skills, as much passing skills and, and really try to overload him. So he 
really gets a feel for the playmaking game because if he becomes a playmaker, I'm sorry, you have a you have a franchise changing changing player on your hands because of the jumper, because of the footwork, because he's got the inside game. The only thing that would be a question mark at this point in time is can he dribble and make decisions with the ball. You know what I love too? Early in the season, I did a podcast and we discussed it after, but the the interview portion of the podcast, I had Peja on. And Peja said he's got Chris Bosch type potential. And yeah. he's like, that's who I see. I see Chris Bosch. And I thought to myself, man, that's a stretch. I mean, they're like, I've compared him to Rashard Lewis. That's been my comparison. But then when you really think about it and you see the way he, he's playing, He's Chris Bosch, but with a little bit better athleticism. And I'm shocked. I mean, I again, I love him as a person. Like, I, getting to spend time with him and talk to him, he's a crack up. He's got that big, giant smile that is on his face all the time. He's respectful. He's articulate. He is, His story is absolutely incredible. You know, the the whole the whole package is there for him to be the face of the franchise and the whole time you're thinking okay yeah but he's got to be able to play basketball and lo and behold he shows in, in one night that he can really play now the other 10 games uh, one game he played two minutes so we'll throw that one out but the other 10 games since the all-star break he's been good he's been mm-hmm. he, not great but he's well, been really good and, and that's why I've really kind of taken umbrage with the idea that he has to earn his minutes. Like, he's been better than the other guys. I mean, and, and none more of this matters. More versatile, for that. sure. More versatile. Yeah, well, he's more versatile, but he's also like, if you're a defensive player and you look at the Kings, you see Anthony Tolliver. No offense to Anthony Tolliver. I think he's a great fit for this team, and I think he's doing everything he should be doing and then some. But you're not afraid of him. You look at Scal and you're like, oh, man, that guy could either jam on me. He could shoot over the top of me. He can go around me and I got to worry about him on the glass. Like there's just no there's no comparing. And the two. he's a defender and mm-hmm. he's long. And not only is he is he playing a weak side shot blocker, but I love I love his man on defense. He's all over people and he's got a big old long arm in their face all the time. He's not getting in foul trouble. And yeah, he's not, bothered a lot of shots out there. Yeah, it's not because he's not being aggressive. He he's playing solid man on defense. Every once in a while he gets lost. You're right, but overall, I mean, I, I don't think you can have. I mean, he looks more like a second year player who's growing than he does a player who's played. You know, again, like twelve to fifteen games the entire season. I, I'm glad that he had the huge game um, because I think this might almost forced the organization's hands in saying, all right, you know, we really got to play this guy 30 minutes a game going forward. He's still going to be cautious with him against a team like San Antonio, though. I, I don't see him playing him 30 minutes a game against LaMarcus Aldridge and breaking the spirit, but against Sabonis, yeah, bring on Sabonis. I don't, I mean, break his spirit. He can handle it. He doesn't look weak to me. All this stuff about him being weak coming out of college, and yes, he's got a sports psychologist. I thought that was excellent reporting last night. Um, the, uh, the, the takeaway though, is I don't see fear in his eyes. I don't see, you know, I do see a little apprehension on the floor, but it's nothing outside of a normal bound. And I, I just think that like, we're, we're coddling this guy. He let him fail this year. Let him feel what it's like to, to not have everything go his way. You know, that will be a learning experience for him heading into next year. So, I mean, if he gets 25 minutes versus 30 is the end of the world. No, but to some degree, this is the way that the Miami Heats of the world do things. This is the way that the San Antonio Spurs of the world do things. When the when the player is ready, they're ready, and you don't lose time developing them next year. Because face it, if you do this this year, now you know exactly what you have. You can then draft around him. You can build around him. You can you know, make all of your decisions based on that. And then for him, he can feel the sting of that defeat, and he can know what that's like. In, over the summer as he works out and he, he gets a better feel for the game and he watches film and, you know, just learns how to play the game of basketball doing that next year. It's hard. Sometimes you need that pause between the two seasons to be able to assess what happened. And if you wait until next season to, to give him all of the, the feedback and the intel that he gets from playing, it's going to then all the learning happens that next season. And yeah. so I'm just I just say pile it on right now. I can see that a little bit, but I also 
you know, I look at what happened with Buddy Hill in the same game, and Buddy Hill was getting torn up by Devin Booker. The second they put they put uh, Garrett Temple on on yeah. Devin Booker, it was over. I mean, the dude shot six well, of twenty six from the field, just got shut down. That's an interesting, intriguing thing because I don't think Garrett Temple should not play thirty minutes next year. I don't think he should not start at the shooting guard position, and I think it makes an intriguing backcourt situation if that actually happens because then you have healed and maybe Bogdan, Bo- uh, probably Bogdan Bogdanovich, as the um, backup point guard if he if he comes over and plays. It looked like he got injured. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't get more information on it today, but um, there's one guy, I can't remember his name, David something, that, that reports on overseas. Oh, Pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he uh, he ran up a video of Bogdanovich down holding. Uh, it, it was a very short clip that kept rewinding, um, but it looked like he, he had either got popped in the head or had another ankle injury. My main point there is, though, is like, so you're going to have an interesting situation, healed or, or temple at shooting guard is going to be the big thing there. And, well, and you got Malachi as well. Well, I think Malachi should be the three. Um, but the the thing about this goes is, you know, he'll defensively can get, he's not there and he probably won't get there and he's going to get torched. And yes, having a Devin Booker torch a, a buddy healed could be bad for his development, at least in the micro sense. It could throw him off his game for a week or two, but that's not going to happen with Scal. Like, Scal is, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, I want to see what he can do against LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, he has the length to bother LaMarcus Aldridge. And LaMarcus Aldridge will just take him right down to the post and, and, and you know, beat him up down there. And that's fine. You know, l- let him feel what it's like to have to defend that. And, no, and I, let, I guess that's true. Yeah. And David Lee. And David Lee, too, because there is no letting up with that team. That, uh, you know, they've got veterans all over the place. So there is no... There's no break, so I, I know that that's kind of what what Jaeger's tried to do is is to match him up against players that he thinks he can do well against. Um, but you know, when it comes to the Spurs, they there is no break. And you know, like Taj Gibson is a quality player, but I I still think that Scal can get over on on Sabonis and on uh, and on uh, Taj Gibson, but but overall. I mean, I, I do believe he's going he's gonna to go in and out with him. You'll see him 20 minutes a night. You'll see him 30. You'll see him 20. You'll see him 24. You'll, I don't think we're going to see 30 to 35. I just think that he's going to take a little bit slower approach. And you know what? That's his right as, as a coach. And to this point in the season, I know, you know they left Scal up in, in Reno for 17 games. I think at some point you got to kind of give it to the Kings and say, I kind of like what they're doing here with their development and the way they're trying to bring these young players on, spending a lot of time with Larry Lewis, spending a lot of time with uh, Bob Thornton, the big man's coach and March. And I I think that they're doing the best thing in their mind. It's the best thing for the players. And I think so far what we're seeing is maybe they've, they've shown a little bit too much restraint, but then again, I'd rather the cautious approach than to ruin a couple of young players. I think we're, arguing over the margins here I, I i wouldn't i my my thing is this is that what i look for out of the kings is do they start operating like the big league franchises in in the nba and waiting on something like this is not in my opinion necessary and i think it probably is jaeger believing he can win he has a better chance of winning with the other guys than he has with scal and that winning is still at the forefront of his approach to the uh, to the game, and sometimes coaches, a lot of coaches, have a hard time going to the young guy because they feel like if the mental breakdowns occur, that it's going to fracture the entire operation, and that trust level, and then the inner locker room dynamics of playing the young guy instead of the veteran. There's a lot that goes into that, so I think that coaches, by and large, are, are slow on a lot of this stuff. But the top organizations, they make these moves on a dime. You saw Josh Richardson in Miami get thrown right into the fire once it was clear he could play last year. The San Antonio Spurs did not waste any time playing Kawhi Leonard and and getting him into the mix. You just got to do that stuff. But again, we're arguing about the margins here. I agree, Um, but I'll I'll make the other counterpoint. It's that the the teams that you're talking about typically have 
three or four other starters that are known quantities or even five or six rotational players that have been there that know the system, that know what's going on to support a young player coming in. And that's not something that the Kings have. They have a, a burgeoning system, a system that's you know trying to grow. But again, Willie Cauley-Stein wasn't a starter. Uh, you know, Costa Kufis is the one guy, and Darren Collison are the two guys that have started all season long. But aflalo has been in and out. Uh, Garrett Temple's been in and out of the starting lineup. Tolliver's been in and out of the starting lineup. All of these players, like, you know what I'm saying? We aren't, you can compare them and say, look, this is what the great teams do. But the great but teams you know also what? have, you know, they, they five have... five of the eight pieces that are going to play every night that have been there for years and years and years. And they... The Heat, the Spurs have, are definitely exactly what you're saying. They're, they're you know, a, franch, a marquee franchise and they've got a system. And, yeah, you could bring a rookie into that thing and, and be pretty confident about it. The, the Heat are a lot more thin yeah, than the I, Spurs have been. I agree with um, you. But the, you know what it's, it's, it's been great watching is mixing the young group with Garrett Temple, Anthony Tolliver, and then, like, Derek, Darren Collison and Ty Lawson uh, – to a, to a separate degree. Um, but that core of, of Temple and Tolliver and, and hearing Scal say after the game, like, you know, who are you talking to a lot? Garrett Temple. Yep. That the, the move that the, the, everybody talks about kind of the bad off season that the Kings had or whatever, the, the moves to bring in Garrett Temple and Anthony Tolliver are paying off like, uh, by a factor of 10. And that's fun to watch. And I do think it gives you, they might not be the best team in the world, but if you are starting, you know, one some combo of, of Collison and Lawson, and then you've got Temple out there, you got Tolliver out there, Kufus out there, and you know maybe not so much a Flalo just because he's kind of hurting them on the floor. Um, but it's still that's a good group to train these guys in. I don't think that's a bad group. You know, I think they're going to learn how to play the game the right way. Maybe not so much Tyreek out there because he's kind of, you know, doing Tyreek stuff a lot of the time. Yeah, but limping. when he's I, I not think, limping, he's he is doing Tyreek stuff. Yeah, but they're good. It's a good it's a good training environment, and I think that you know it, things couldn't have broken better for the Kings because look at the look at the Pelicans. Demarcus out there playing shooting guard. They keep losing. You know their pick situation. I mean, maybe if they keep winning, it it gets to a point where it's a little risky. But I, I think it could not have broken better for the Kings. Yeah, it, it's worked out pretty well. Um, okay, so uh, I think it was Patrick and Davis asked on on Twitter if we could discuss a little bit of why it is that uh, and and everyone's saying it, but why why is it that Willie Cauley Stein isn't uh, rebounding at the level that that people want him to be rebounding at? And is there something you know what's the deal? And I, I know this, Aaron. I don't know about what you viewed and and what you've seen. Um, I know that. Willie has talked about consistent effort. Like he knows he has to give a better consistent effort. So I'll say that's one giant piece because rebounding is probably 60% effort. Um, But then the other thing that I've watched is it's something we tried to point out on the telecast, but it was very quick at the end of pregame. And it was that when a three point shot goes up, I, I started to watch Willie and I started to watch scowl. And a lot of times what Willie does when a a three-point attempt goes up is he stands there and watches the ball (laughs) from 18 to 15 to 20 to 23 to, you know, whatever feet away. And he watches the shot where, uh, and and on occasion, he goes, he he runs at the rim. Um, When I watch Scal, every single time a three-point attempt goes up, Scal is tracking it while he's weaving through players to get into the middle of the key. And when the ball goes to hit the rim, he's already down with his his elbows bent down around his waist, ready, ready to explode up and go get the ball. And he's reading mm-hmm. the angle, he's reading mm-hmm. everything, and he's being able to rebound outside of his space. He's being able to fly all over the place because he's doing the early prep work. And for me... That is the biggest thing with Willie is that there are too many uh, – and it's funny. I, I I rode in the car with Jerry the other day, and we didn't mention this on the car cast, but um, he said that 
that Larry Bird used to tell him that Kevin McHale was the, the greatest rebounder he'd ever played with. And Jerry's like, what do you mean, man? You average 11 rebounds a game. He goes, yeah, I average 11 rebounds a game, but I go after 100 rebounds per for in every game, and I only get 11 of them. He said, Kevin over there, he averages nine, but he only tries for nine. And he gets every single one of them. <laughs> and I thought that that was really astute. Uh, but it also, I think, plays very, very well into this conversation that Willie can be a great rebound. We even saw last night where he tore through Marquise Chris and ripped down a violent rebound and went back up and got a foul. Um, he can be a good rebounder. He just needs to know that that the clock doesn't stop and neither do you. You know, when you hit a, an offensive line, your knees have to be churning. You you don't just hit the line and fall down. And he needs to understand that it never ends. That the the game of basketball is perpetually moving. You have to move with it. You can't stand and watch. You can't be uh, the the old Tyreek Evans, uh, a guy waiting for a bus on defense. You have to be engaged at all times, and that's something that Willie's learning. What's well, I was laughing at that when you said that you know the the three point shot goes up and Willie watches it. As I'm sitting there thinking he probably thinks about how beautiful the shot looks. You know, he's like judging it almost like a work of art, and he's look at the that's the on that one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know if you've seen the promos for his interview with Katie, but, you know, he's got a good eye for art. And like, I kind of just think he approaches the game of basketball like art. And in a way, being told he was a defensive player, like offended his sense of the game itself and like his place (laughs) in it. And that you could not tell me I am only a defensive player. And in many ways, he's more of an offensive player now than he is a defensive player. And that is just a phenomenal transition. And so with the rebounding, I feel like it's kind of like his overall game. He's going to, at some point, have an epiphany of, of how he approaches it because your, your, your analysis on Scal is dead on. He is tracking it, you know, as, as well as you can track it. And it's about dodging and weaving and getting into position and all of that and knowing where the ball's going to bounce. And once that clicks for Willie... I think he's going to then become the rebounder that at least a, an average rebounder that rebounds his position. And that would be the last step of that aspect of his game. Um, but it's good for him. He's going to have to like conceptualize everything for him is very, you know, um, cerebral. And that I think is the one part along with the three point defense or the defense of the jump shot in general, like he is hell bent on not getting beat you know, to the left or to the right. So he's going to let that guy shoot or he's not going to let him. He's going to just not be able to get there. And so that once that clicks in his head that it's okay to get beat, you know, then he'll defend that three point shot. These are the the next level steps of his game that he could figure out at the end of this uh, season. Yeah. I watched Jermaine O'Neal one time. He talked about when he learned how to be a great shot blocker. Cause there was one season where all of a sudden he, like midway through his career, he started blocking four shots a game. And everyone's like, what in the world? He said, I, I watched a uh, film of Hakeem Olajuwon. And then I went and I worked out with Hakeem. And I, I kept, he said, keep your elbows up high at all times. Why get your hands down low? Get your arms up, get ready at all times to block a shot, to grab a rebound. I, I think a lot of it is just being in ready position, just being ready, being uh engaged 100 percent of the time he is very very eccentric uh as far as like a, a person i like willie me and willie have great conversations and he he's actually he warms up to you and he's a little bit different than when he is in a scrum sometimes he starts going kind of weird and dark in scrums uh but <laughs> like one-on-one i think He's very passionate. He's passionate about the way he talks and the way that he acts and, you know, what he's doing and what he's going to try to do and all that stuff. Um, But he still has that missing thing that a lot of times you can talk about it and then you got to go do it. And so I I think he's learning and it's going to take a process um, just because, again, he's trying to reinvent himself as a basketball player. And the other thing I'll say is, is like the the first rule of Fight Club is what we don't we don't talk about Fight Club. Um, the first rule of defense is to, is, God, to, yeah. is to get the rebound. That's the first rule of defense. 
because if you don't get the rebound the first time, then you're still on defense, and now you're in a worse position. You're in a worse position, and they're on you already. They're already in position. Everyone's moving faster, and that's something he needs to learn. The defensive glass is something he needs to own and be a part of and you know sort of the the biggest rule of defense is to is to get in there and get that rebound and stop the possession so it goes the other way that's a defensive stop i can't say enough about him i feel like when he sees the game of basketball it's this big blur right but he sees things that other people don't see he sees the finer points and and kind of you know he's going to circle around this thing but he might understand it better than your average NBA player or your above average NBA player when it's all said and done because of the journey that he's taking to understand it. And that's why you see him disengaged because I don't think it's a passion thing with him. I just think that for him, the way he processes it is more of an, 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 it's hard to explain, but it's like not the way that you know, you learn a fundamental here, you learn this here, you learn that there. He's looking at it and, and really trying to understand it as a whole but that's going to take some time for him. And in the meantime, he just lets up. Yeah, he just lets up. And that's what we got to figure out. All right. So, Aaron, do you have any f- quick final thoughts? We had the car cast, so we're running a little bit long here. What do you got for me? I ain't got nothing for you. I, I, I just sit down and watch some Kings basketball and enjoy it because of what you're seeing on the court. That That's kind of my final thought. All right, my final thought is don't get too high, don't get too low on Scal. Let him grow into what he's going to be. And a lot of people looked at that uh, that game and they just, uh, you know, they wet themselves. <laughs> that's that's what uh, you know what I got. I get another final thought here. Hey, Kings fans, have at it, man. This guy's going to be great. You guys are going to love it and enjoy it. It's going to be massive for you guys. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> you know, I think I the way I. Uh, I wrote it as a, a 20 year old reached into the sky and swatted away the dark clouds in, in one night. And I think that that's the way people should look at it. This is what you wanted. You wanted to see young players that have potential show you a glimpse of what might be able to happen down the road. You know, you need a frontline starting uh, rookie point guard in this draft. You know, you're going to need a, a small forward of the future, but I think you now see that you've got a pretty solid center of the future and a pretty solid, uh, and Costa, you've got a pretty solid backup center or even a starter while Willie continues to grow. And then Poppy Giannis is showing us a little bit. I think with Scal, I think you got something there. And I think you got a whole lot more than you thought you had last week. And all of a sudden, uh, things aren't as gloomy. It may not take quite as long. The Kings might not be five years away from anything, they may be a couple of years, but I think they uh, they found one of their all-star caliber players, and I, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. So, Aaron, uh, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. Thanks to Doug Christie for rolling in the car cast, literally rolling while we did the car cast. Uh, and so for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We'll see you very soon.